I'm not preaching today about sex. I'm not preaching today about money or hell or evolution or immigration. (laughs) If I were to do that, half of you would be ticked and the other half would be saying, I'm glad finally somebody said that. I've decided instead to pick something today that I guarantee will offend everybody. (laughs) And in fact, if it doesn't, you're not listening. Here's what I want you to do, though. The times today when you want to push back and say he doesn't know what he's talking about, that can't be true, that's crazy, this is the real world, I'd like you to ask yourself why your reaction is the reaction that it is. What deep-seated assumptions or beliefs is what we're going to talk about today coming up against when you hear it. Today I want to talk, to something, talk about something that is as countercultural as anything could possibly be, way more countercultural than any of those other topics I just mentioned. I want to talk about something that is as foundational to the Christian life as it could possibly be, and I want to talk about something that has the capacity to change every aspect of your life, marriage, finances, physical health, emotional well-being, job performance, etc. If you're here and you're a Christian today, you're a believer, this stuff is non-negotiable. But if you're here today and, and you're not a believer, you're just a skeptic, this is a freebie for you because you get to follow this advice and reap the benefits of it and have no obligation to do so. Let's pray. Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. And then take our hearts and light them up as a response with love for you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what we pray. Amen. In the middle of the South Pacific Ocean, there's a small island called Atutaki. This is what it looks like. The deep blue is the mighty Pacific Ocean. The white ring around the island is the waves of the Pacific breaking against the protective barrier reef. The aquamarine color on the inside is the shallow lagoon, and the small dark green mass in the upper right corner is the island itself. It's very small. You could walk around the whole thing in the morning. There's probably no more than 2,000 people on the island at any given time. The first Europeans to visit the island were the people on board HMS Bounty, commanded by Captain Bly, the famous Bounty, which later went on to have the mutiny. The Bounty made landfall there in 1789. The first missionaries to the island were there in 1821. The London Missionary Society sent folks to talk about the good news of Jesus, and the island was evangelized. And if you go there today, you'll notice very quickly that the people on the island are devout Christians. You'll also notice some other things. You might see a sign like this. It says, No Sunday Flights. You might see another sign that says, either come on Saturday or come on Monday, but if you won't need to come on Sunday, we'd rather you just stay home. And the reason for all of this is, as this sign explains, Sunday is a special day, a Sabbath day to the island people of Atutaki. This has been a pretty big controversy in the last several years. As I don't need to tell you, the majority revenue industry on that island is tourism. And there's a large group of the islanders that object to the idea of having tourist commercial flights fly into the island every Sunday. The flights come in twice a day. And their perspective is we'd rather lose the money than have the commercial hustle and bustle on the one day a week we're trying to set aside to cease and desist from labor just to rest to enjoy the fruits of the paradise in which God has placed us. And we think, gosh, How quaint 
How old-fashioned. I mean, come on. This is the 21st century. Yeah, there were places about 100 years ago in this country that followed laws like that. We call them blue laws. Certain things are closed on Sundays. And maybe even 50 years ago, some of us grew up in places like that. But come on. Give it the program. This is the 21st century. Time is money, and we can't afford to set aside one day a week like that. Did you know that Americans work more than any other people on earth? Now, on the one hand, in the industrialized world, you have the French. Go figure. In France, it's the law. You have to have 30 days off of paid vacation a year. Do you know how many days off you have to have in America per year, according to the law? Zero. Now, this is not a sermon about public policy. There are good or bad reasons whether to do that. I'm just pointing out the fact that Americans work harder than other people. Do you know that most Americans don't take all their vacation days? And many people report that they work even when days when they're not working. In fact, it's a new phenomenon. You'll be at the beach somewhere on vacation, and the person with the blanket over you, or maybe right on your blanket, is texting the office, replying to emails, returning phone calls, seeing what the market's doing. Which is not really that big a deal because well, the other thing we know is that Americans are longer living and healthier living and happier than any other people on the face of the planet. Wrong. We don't report the highest degrees of health, the longest life, or the greatest happiness. But we are a 24-7 people, are we not? How's that working for us? You know, many people, they have an idea of what their family life will be like, and then they have kids, and the kids grow up, and rather than having some sort of unity where everybody sits around and talks to each other, and there's a sense of family intimacy, the one kid's over there on the iPad, the other one's over there texting her friends, mom and dad come in from work, throw down the keys, get something real quick, rip it out of the oven, put it on, eat it, go about their business. No connection. How's that working for you? You, you, may, you may find this surprising, but you know the, what most marital difficulty stems from? Not finances, not other, other things. You know what it stems from? For most marriages, it stems from a lack of emotional intimacy. Now, you can fake emotional intimacy, emotional intimacy all you want, but there's really only one way to get it, and that's to spend time with each other. Marriages in which there is no face-to-face time can't be sustained. That's just the way it works. Not just marriages. Actually, all, all friendships are like that. Do you know anybody like this? Maybe you're here and you're like this. Busy all the time. Really social. Engagement after engagement after engagement. Dinner date after dinner date after appointment after appointment. Traveling all the time. And this person's wedding and that person's wedding. And yet, that person who's so busy with so many other people is lonely. How's that working for you? Are you, ever, are, you, are you ever tired? And I don't mean tired because you've been staying up late and getting up early and you're obviously tired. I mean kind of like a bone weariness. You ever have that? Where you wake up in the morning and mathematically you should have had enough sleep but you're still not refreshed. Or do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep because of all the stuff you're worrying about? You kind of have this tightness in your gut of worry. How's the 24-7 thing working for you? How's it working for me? 
You know, the internet was supposed to make everything better. Did you know that? I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to know that there was life before the internet. And I remember when it was coming on board, and it was going to be everything. And I'm grateful for some things of the internet. I'm grateful that I can book a flight in the comfort of my home. There's probably some people watching this right now in the comfort of your home because this is on the internet, and I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful this morning that if I want and look at Twitter, I can know what Kim Kardashian had for breakfast. The internet brings many good things. And many of us carry the internet around in our pocket, at least I do, and I'm constantly just having it buzz me or pull at me, ding, or the best sound at all, that dun, 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 How's that working for us? All the time. You're at the conversation, some better, you get a buzz, you look it up. The conversation breaks, now you're paying attention to your phone. You're with your family. Some of us, children are such a priority, such a blessing, and yet when the children are in front of us, we're always paying attention to what the latest message is. We gotta be connected. You know, at home, I have a physical inbox, I have a physical inbox at work. I have a mailbox, I have a mailbox at work. I have another mailbox that's just for inner office mail. I have email, I have voicemail, I have text messages, I have Twitter, I have Facebook. How's it working for me? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says in another place, I've come that you could have life and have it in abundance. How's that working for us? Maybe you're here today and, and, and you, you're not a believer or you've been struggling in your faith and you say, I, I feel disconnected from God. There was that one time in your life at that one camp during that one difficult period when that one loved one was in the hospital, maybe when you first got married, maybe when your child was born, maybe when you went through confirmation, you were in that one Bible study, that small group, and you felt, you felt connected with the Lord. You felt like, this is, this is true, this is real. It's given me something. I know what the peace that comes that's beyond understanding. But today, you don't, you don't feel like that. You feel disconnected. I don't even really know how to pray. I don't know if I want to pray. I don't feel like any desire for prayer. When I notice those sensations in my own life or with people in the congregation, they say that, the first thing I always think about is, have you been keeping a 24-7 lifestyle? When's the last time you tried 24-6? There is invariably a connection between the negative things that happen in our life, marriages, finances, kids, physical health, emotional well-being, and the 24-7 lifestyle. But we don't like to think like that. See, what we believe, we, we bought into this cultural lie, is that everything is from your point of view. So we'll say, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Have you ever heard this? Now, there's some sense, and this is obviously true. You know, you like, you like ice cream that's vanilla. I like ice cream that's chocolate. You like to swim. I like to run. You like the beach. I like the mountains. You like The Bachelor. I think you're an idiot. Okay? It's just all point of view. I can't help it. I can't help it. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. I can't help it. No, that was mean. I don't, no offense. No offense. And maybe in some personal preferences it's true. It just depends on your point of view. But you stand up on the edge of the Golden Gate Bridge and you jump off. You're either going to die or be seriously injured when you hit the water so far below. 
See, gravity is not up for debate. It doesn't matter what you think about it or not, whether you know how it works or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you study it in a book or not, it will hurt you if you use it the wrong way. This is how the moral law works. When the moral law is broken, the fabric of the universe is ripped. Whether we know it or not, whether we have a name for it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, that's the case. Now, we know this is true in certain areas. We, we know that when a human life is taken, things are irrevo- irrevocably changed. We know how this works with adultery or with, or with theft or with lying. But as we're about to see, all aspects of life are built into the nature of life itself. Whether we believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. This is from Genesis chapter 2. Now, you may not be a church person, but I guarantee you you're aware of the opening chapter of Genesis, that great, beautiful hymn, Song of Creation. This is how it wraps up, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. By the seventh, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. According to Genesis, don't miss this. According to Genesis, built into the very nature of creation in the same way that the laws of gravity work and energy and so on, is the idea that the human being was created for a 24-6 lifestyle. And that 24-7 will lead us in paths of brokenness and destruction. How's the 24-7 thing working for you? How's it working for me? See, we have this idea that Christians and religious people are always eager to shake their finger at everybody. Don't break that law. You're doing that wrong. And a lot of us have this mistaken idea that that's what the Lord is like. Some sort of heavenly being that just wants to shake his finger at us and tell us we're doing wrong. But what if it were the exact opposite? What if, in fact, God's laws were for our our own good, for our own flourishing? What if it's, it's not about shaking a finger but saying, this is how you were created. I want something more for you. This is certainly what seems to be the case in the Ten Commandments. If you flip on to Exodus chapter 20, the famous list of the Ten Commandments. Here's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's other commandments that are listed about Murdering, about honoring your father and your mother, about not lying, about not coveting things that your neighbor has, about not committing adultery. Does it ever strike you strange that listed in the list of those, some of which are obviously good for us, is this one, number four, remember the Sabbath day? And did you catch? It's not a thou shalt not, it's a thou shalt. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. See, according to the Biblical witness, 
that one day out of every seven is meant to be set aside, separate. A day for rest, for relaxation, for recreation, for trust. So how's the 24-7 thing working for you? If you've ever been on a honeymoon, you know that the first day of your honeymoon is luxurious. Why? Because nobody has any claim on you at that point other than your spouse. You're not returning voicemails. I hope you're not. You're not replying to emails. You're not checking Facebook. Please, I hope you're not. You don't care if somebody says get up or go or not. You can sleep as long as you want. Get up when you want. Take a walk. Don't take a walk. Have that for dinner. Don't have that for dinner. Read that book. Don't have that book. That's why honeymoon is such a blessing. Particularly after all the busyness leading up to the wedding and the wedding season and then it's like a holiday. Or it's like, tell me if you've ever experienced this. It doesn't happen too often in Dallas. It is a snow day and the power goes out and nobody's going anywhere and you think, well, not going to make that meeting and you don't care. Not going to return to that phone call today. Not going to reply to that email. I don't even have electricity. Kids, what do you want to do? You want to sleep late? You want to turn the... Uh, heat up and sit around in your underwear, great. <laughs> and one day out of every seven, the Lord says, that's what I want for you. A day of, of ceasing from your labor. Now, obviously that means professional obligations. And we'll come to that in a second. I know this seems very difficult. Obviously it means professional obligations. But it's not just that. It, on Thanksgiving Day, not only do most of us not have to work, and we'll come in a couple of weeks to what it means that some of us have to work on Thanksgiving. Not only do we not have to work, but also on Thanksgiving, it's like a special day. You turn aside from all the other things and you do the things that are just like blessings. On Thanksgiving, you're not, you're not worried about getting your taxes filed. You're not worried about writing checks and paying bills and making sure the roof is patched and all that stuff. On Thanksgiving, you're just there to... Enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Here's the crazy part. 24-6 means that God wants you to have a day like that one day a week. How's the 24-7 thing working for you? How's it working for me? We'll get practical in the coming weeks, but just a few things here. I think one of the key things it's got to mean in the 21st century is to turn off all our electronic devices that have so much pull on our lives. I think there needs to be one day a week in which you don't reply to email. No, no. One day a week in which you don't even look at your email. One day a week in which you don't care what your friend is posting on Facebook. Now, I'm serious for a second. If it sounds to you crazy to be off Facebook, particularly if you're in middle school or high school, or Twitter or texting, one day a week, Why? What, what does the desire to be on it all the time say about you? It doesn't say anything good. I think one day a week in which we're, if you're a family, you're home as a family. If you're single, you're with your friends. You're hanging out. You're being still. You're being quiet. When's the last time you just had a little bit of silence? See, I'm convinced, in fact, that the major problems that beset us internationally, in our nation, in our families, cannot be solved without quiet time to think and be still and reflect. At the very least, I think each of us needs one day out of every seven in which there are clear edges, in which you're not available, 
in which you're quiet, in which you're still, in which you go for a walk, in which you toss the football, unless you make a long meal, unless you sit around with your family in the front porch, in which you walk around the lake, in which you just go visit your neighbors and see how they're doing. In other words, one day that's almost countercultural, everything that we're told that's important. One day without getting or spending, one day without checking and tweeting, one day without replying and answering, one day just to be. Now I want to Pick on the guys for a second, particularly the guys that are in business. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what does this guy know about the real world? I've never had some of your jobs. I don't know what it's like to have a multi-million dollar deal on the line, to have to boss breathing on your neck, to have to worry about what the market's doing and what the investors are saying. I've never had that. But I'll tell you two things. One, it is not possible that you care about your job more than I care about mine. Maybe we're tied. But you can't care more. It's impossible. If the only thing I had to worry about were a multi-million dollar deal, and I'm not trying to make light of that, my job is to worry about people's eternal lives, their fates, about marriages, about families, about the nature of our society, about what happens with the poor among us. You think you can just turn that off one day a week? So I know what it's like to care about your job, even though I've never had your particular job or your particular pressures. And the second thing I'll tell you about is I don't care what your job is. You don't have to come up with the sermon every Sunday. <laughs> Last week is like the Super Bowl in the church, okay? It's Easter Sunday. It is so important. And boy, if you can't get fired up on Easter, I don't know what will fire you up. Easter is a big deal. So I, I feel great last Sunday. He is risen indeed. We're shaking hands. It's a great day. And then my alarm goes off Monday morning. Oh, gosh. And you got another sermon to preach this coming Sunday. For me, this Sabbath thing, this 24-6 thing, is absolutely a burden and a trial. And I try not to say things that I'm not practicing in myself. This is a place that I really, truly, deeply struggle. Because one day off a week means I have one day less to prepare for Sunday. For some of you think it'd be difficult to preach every Sunday because you're afraid to be up in front of people. That's not it for me. It's not for everybody out here. And some of you think, well, I could do it. I could do it a couple of weeks. I bet you could. <laughs> and then do it a few weeks after that and a few weeks after that. Even the NFL has an off-season. There's no off-season in the church. And so this week, I'll just be personally and vulnerable with you, has been so difficult for me to get my act together. The urgent crowded out the important. I don't know if this is the most important thing I have to do each week. It's certainly the most visible. It's certainly the most highly critiqued to be in front of several hundred people every single week. And I had nothing by Friday night. And it's just one of those weeks. I'd kind of prepared, but then it frittered away the rest of my time doing other things, and I had nothing. I woke up yesterday morning, and I had been saying, I don't want to preach on this if I'm not practicing it. And I was a miserable guy yesterday morning. I was miserable with my family. I felt like I had no energy, nothing to give. I was mad at God for making me feel guilty about not taking a Sabbath and to take a Sabbath. And I wasn't going to work in my sermon And about lunchtime. Elaine said, just go. I was talking to her, and she said, it looks like you're miserable anyway. And we were kind of talking about it, and I said, well, I'll go work on it for a little bit. And then this is the honest truth. This is not a made-up story. For some reason, I decided, you know, I'm just going to sit in silence for a little bit while the rest of my family was taking a nap. And I left my phone and 
computer and iPad upstairs. I just sat on my couch and I fell asleep. I don't sleep in the daytime. I think that's for vegetarians and communists. I don't take naps. <laughs> but that day, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I never take naps. That's true. But I did. And I'm telling you, I had such a burden and such a stress. And frankly, I resented you coming here this morning. I didn't want to have to see you and preach and go about it. And yet I woke up with a sense of rest and sort of God was saying, I just need you to trust me. Because one of the things it means to adopt a 24-6 lifestyle is you realize it's not all about you. It's not all about, this church is not about me. In fact, the less it's about me, the better and the healthier the church is. Whether I have a good sermon or not, I try my best and some weeks I do and some weeks I don't, it doesn't matter. God uses it as he wills, like the loaves and the fishes. Because ultimately what 24-6 is about is about trust. <clears throat> Let's say I go down to the hardware store and I want to drive a nail. Elaine, I took this from home. Can I use this? You should think about it before you say yes. Okay. <laughs> and I visit the guy at the hardware store and he's real friendly and I tell him I need to drive a nail into a piece of wood and he says... Well, don't worry about a hammer. Use a vase. That's the new thing. That's what everybody's doing. That will work fine. So I get the, my nail, and I get my board. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know what would happen, don't you? It would break. It would smash. And I go back to the store, and I say, it smashed. He said, well, just try it again. Do it again. Use another vase. And so it goes. We wonder why our lives are the way they are and because we're ignoring what it means to be human. We're not 24-6 creatures. We're, we're not 24-7 creatures. We're 24-6. But here's the thing. We don't break the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment breaks us. And this is where the trust thing comes down to it. To take one day off a week to be still, to not return the voicemail, to have the hard conversation with your boss saying, I need some boundaries, to be with your family, to force yourselves to face each other and look each other in the eye. It takes trust. It takes trust that God is God of the world and you're not and that I'm not. It's trust saying that God, one day a week, I'm gonna leave it up to you to make it work out regardless of the consequences. 24-6 is ultimately about trust. Here's my challenge for you this week. You have a whole week to prepare. I want you to do the hard work of preparation to give yourself, either next Saturday or Sunday, depending on what you have going on, a day of rest with clear edges, a day of Sabbath. That mean, might mean you have to go in earlier. It might mean instead of leaving Sunday night to get to your job appointment next week, you're going to have to leave early Monday morning. It might mean you have to stay later. It might mean you have to prepare with your family. It might mean you have to say no to some things just to make it possible. I want to challenge you to do it. I want you to challenge you, I want to challenge you to take a step of trust and to say, God, I'm trusting you to be in control of my life and to make things work out. Those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to close our service today singing another great Charles Wesley hymn from the 18th century that's been reworked. I just want to tell you something if you were here last week. Last week was a great Sunday here for Easter. We had a record attendance here in our little congregation and two and a half years old. We had more people than we've ever had before, which means two things. If you're here today and you're a guest, we're not after your money, but I just want you to know there are people sitting among you in the pews and in the rows 
who give because they want you to have an experience like you had last Sunday. That's incredible. And those of you who are the people I'm talking about, this is your church home and you give generously, just think about what God is able to do through our offering together, how the truth of Christ can be proclaimed, how good news can be given, how hope can be given to the hopeless and healing to the sick and the lost can be found and the lonely can be pulled together into community. It's incredible what God uses us to do. So thank you for your generosity and keep it up. Listen to the words of this song.